write Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Even, I'm sorry, evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful men. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their innermost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make their, them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsel. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out. For they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. That let them sing, sorry, let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. So I think, I believe what we're seeing in Psalm 5 is, is this inner prayer and dialogue that David is kind of having between himself and obviously he's praying to God. I think he's he's kind of going back and forth in his head. Um, as I was reading this, it reminded me of times that I've had with my kids where I'll be kind of just thinking to myself, why are they still doing that? You know, they're still whining about these things. And it's just like they're doing it for the last 18 years. I don't know. I don't have an 18-year-old, but I'm assuming that's what happens. Um, that being said, in those moments, I'm... Reminded, the Holy Spirit kind of pricks in my heart and says, no, 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 like, you do the same thing. Um, you whine continuously. Um, all the time. And maybe that's just me, and I'm sure you've all got it down, but I, I'm a whiner, and my wife will, will verify that. Um, that being said, I believe that's kind of what's going on here in David's mind. As he's, he's seeing these two, these two parties play here, the wicked and those who are loved by God, and and he's kind of going back and forth, and he's he's kind of feels this twist in his soul. This uh, I hate these guys, but I'm just like them. So as we kind of start in on this, on, on verses one to three, there's basically five stanzas in this. One to three is the first stanza, and it's this introduction. We see David calling to God. It starts off as, a, as an inward groan, but kind of wells up as he's, as he's praying, and it starts to be the, this cry out to God. I know that there's been times in my life where I'll just be praying kind of in my soul, and all of a sudden I'll be weeping for no other reason. I think that's kind of what David's saying here. Is he's, it started kind of this inward prayer, and, and it's coming out. It's, it's this cry out to God. And then... <clears throat> And in that, he sees who he is and who God is. Um, 
In verse 2, David says he's praying to my God and my king. Or sorry, my king and my God. Uh, David is the king of Israel, but he understands that he's not really king. He understands that God is king. And that God's put him in this place of authority. Um, What a place to be. I'm not a king of anything, but I still forget that I... I'm actually not a king of anything and that God is truly king over all things. And so as David is coming into this place of prayer, he's understanding that he has pain, he has hurt in his life, he has things that other people have done, he has frustrations, and he's still coming to God as his humble servant. Um, And I think that's the point that David's saying is we need to approach God the same way. Um, in verse 3, he goes on to say, but, but you know, oh, I'm sorry, that's chapter 4, verse 3, and then chapter 5. Oh, Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. I don't think that this is anything to say that like, hey, you better pray in the morning, and if you miss your prayer time before 8 a.m., like God just doesn't hear you anymore. Um, I'm sorry. So all those folks who have to start work at three in the morning, they miss their prayer time and God is, he's disappointed with them. What is going on here is, is he's, I'm making God a priority. This is, this is first priority of my life. And so it's not necessarily the idea of coming to God first thing in the morning and if I miss that time, like I have to wait till tomorrow morning. But it's the idea that God is over, he's king and making him a priority in your life is kind of the, is the thrust that is David is saying is I'm coming to you in the morning to talk to you. The ESV uses this this translation here in verse three. It says, "In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch." Uh, the language here, if you have different translation than I do, which some of you probably have King James or NIV or something like this, you'll notice they're a little different. Um, and I don't think it's because it's bad translation. I just think it's a little bit difficult here. Uh, the translation is to prepare would be a, the literal translation of this would be to prepare. The only other time this phrase is used is when Moses is directing the Levites to prepare sacrifices. And so this phrasing is kind of a formal term. The, the New King James Version says, I direct it to you. So I direct my prayer to you. The CSV says, I plead my case to you. And so David, basically what's coming out of David's mouth is, I'm, I'm coming to you, God. I'm laying before you all of my thoughts, all of my prayers, all of my feelings and emotions, and I'm waiting for you. He's saying, I'm, I'm, I've prepared a sacrifice. I'm, I'm coming to you to, to interact with you, to have a relationship with you. And I'm watching and waiting. I'm watching for you to show up. I'm waiting for that to happen. Knowing full well that God will respond to him. And so the next four stanzas kind of are tied together. We have uh, verses, find it in my notes because I wrote it down. Uh, uh, We have verses four through six and seven through ten talking about the wicked. And we have 7 and 8 and 11 and 12 talking about those who God loves. And so we're going to, I kind of broke those two sections apart. We're going to look at these two categories and see what the Bible has to say about it. I think it's an important question to ask. 
what separates the what separates the wicked from what from who those who God loves? It's a pretty big question. I think we all wonder that sometimes. Am I really the person I need to be to dwell with God? I mean, he says it in here, the evil may not dwell with you. So we kind of need to know the answer to that question, I think. I think we need to press in and, and, and be able to answer that. But I believe this psalm answers that question for us. So, who are the wicked? According to Psalm 5, they're boastful. And what that means is, the, the actual dictionary definition of boastful is, is um, they are self-gratified by their accomplishments. We all kind of know these folks. Maybe we are these folks. I don't know. But we all know these guys who like to tell the fish stories, if you will. I caught 14 fish that were this big. And then the next time I caught 18 fish that were this big. And pretty soon you caught a whale out of the Ohio River. And that's amazing. Uh, and people are astonished by your, by your ability to do such a thing. And, but the, uh, this is the type of person that God doesn't like to dwell with. He can't be in the presence of those who boast about their own accomplishments. Right? They're, they're liars. They just can't tell the truth. Right? They, they, they need to cover up their life. <laughs> they need to hide it. All these things they've done wrong, they don't want anyone to find out, so what they need to do is lie. They need to protect themselves by, by putting lies together, and all of a sudden you've woven yourself a beautiful web that's going to fall apart when somebody walks through it. And so, so they're boastful, they're liars, they're evildoers, they're blood, they're bloodthirsty and deceitful. So these two words are intentionally put together. Someone who's bloodthirsty and deceitful, it's not just a matter of going around murdering people, but it's this idea that I don't mind if I tear apart your life for my own benefit. I need to better my position, and such and so is in my way, and so I'm just going to destroy them. I'm going to ruin their... um, all the work they've done their whole life to to get to where they're at, and they don't mind destroying that. It's a it's a mindset that the Lord just doesn't tolerate. They it goes on to say in that in the second stanza about the wicked that their throat is an open grave. Um, I had the honor of doing somebody's funeral this week, somebody I, I, I didn't know entirely. But when I got to the graveyard, all of the, all of the graves were closed. They all had been filled with dirt again. Um, and I'm, I think that's a good thing. Um, the idea of having graves that are open is kind of repulsive when you really think about it. The stench that would come from an open grave the danger that it is just having a hole in the ground with somebody laying in it is this idea that everything that comes out of their mouth is gross and it's and it leads to death. It's it's not life giving. It's not a, a spring of joy and, and trumpets, it's 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 an open grave. It stinks. It's disgusting. And so 
what David is, is pushing out here is the, these, these people, like we, we all know these people. We all know and we avoid them at all costs. And if we can't avoid them, sometimes they sneak up on us. We, uh, we find our lives being filled with pain and hurt from other people's problems. So the question is then, since we've kind of gone through this and we see that these are the people that the Lord sees as wicked, we should probably decide and see what he, what David says that, of the people who are loved by God. So, so who are these folks that are loved by God? Well, they're boastful, they're liars, they're bloodthirsty and deceitful, they, they're evildoers, their mouths are open graves, and they flatter with their tongues. All of these people, the Lord's word is being read, so we need to give it a moment. It's okay. It's okay. At least it was that and not some some Beatles band or something. I mean, that'd be terrible. Um, <laughs> it's probably more interesting than what I'm saying. Let's be honest. It's the word of the Lord, so it's pretty good. Uh, anyways, so who are these people that God loves then? What what separates them? David doesn't, when he goes through this, he doesn't ever say, good thing I'm not like these guys. He doesn't say, good thing that I'm not boastful. Good thing I don't lie, because we, we remember Bathsheba, don't we? What did he do? He, cut, he lied, he manipulated people to cover up a sin that he did. David isn't unlike these folks. But what does he say? What does David say that qualifies him to not be in this group? He says in verse 7, But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. It's through the love of God that David is brought from this place of wickedness into the house of the Lord. It's nothing that he's done. It's not his lifestyle. It's not that he's offered the right sacrifices on the altar. It's the fact that the Lord Jesus came and said, you're mine. And I'm cleansing you. I'm making you a new creation. That's our hope. That's what we cling to is the fact that by the abundance of God's love, we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light by the faith that is given to us from God. Right? David is, is not, he is not saying he's not like this. <clears throat> I think a lot of times, as we read passages like this, especially in our 20th century, call it Baptist ways, or even what I was raised up in, in the holiness tradition with the Nazarene and the Assemblies of God, we can read through this, and we can stop. And we'll start to, we'll pray, we'll, we'll read verse 7, we'll say, But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. And we'll stop there and we'll pray. 
Lord, lead me in your righteousness. Lead me. I just need to be more righteous. I need to be more righteous. But that's not the tone of this verse. The tone of this verse is, is excited. He's, he's not mourning that he needs to be more righteous. He's, he's praising God because he's been brought from the kingdom of darkness into new life by the abundance of his love. And he's coming to God out of this place of being loved. And he's saying, please, Lord, lead me in your righteous, not for you, God, but for what? It says, because of my enemies. So it seems like what David is saying is, God doesn't need our righteousness, but our enemies do. I know Tony said this multiple times. God doesn't need our righteousness, but our neighbors do. Our pursuit of holiness isn't, isn't something that comes out of a, I need to be more holy to get to heaven. It comes out of this place of, man, God loves me and has brought me out of this boastful, wicked life. So now my, my natural response is, I gotta do what he, the way he, I gotta live life the way he orchestrated me to live life. Out of worship for God. Not out of, White knuckling it, hoping I can do enough good things to outweigh my bad things. Right? We are saved by faith alone. By grace, by unmerited favor. And it's, it's not by things that we've done or, or will do, but, but by God's grace. And so we should treat those around us with love, which is righteousness, right? Our, our righteous deeds are not needed. By God, but they are needed by our enemies. I think that as Christians, we, we can struggle with this. We want to be more righteous. We feel that. We feel convicted over sin, which is good. That's normal. But instead of going to God and saying, thank you for your sacrifice to cover this sin, we, we get on our knees and beat ourselves up because we've committed a sin. It's like we've shocked God. <laughs> God is not shocked when we sin. He wasn't shocked when David had an affair with Bathsheba and killed her husband. He wasn't shocked. It broke his heart, but he wasn't shocked. And God still loved him, even in such a grotesque sin. So I think we need to start here, Christian. We need to start with God's love. We need to start with the fact that God loves us. And then from that place... Strive for holiness. And holiness only comes to when you, from where you meet God face to face. When you start to learn about who He is. Uh, the, the text we read this morning from Colossians chapter 1 verses 21 through 23 says this. I'm going to read it again. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been being proclaimed under all creation under heaven, in which I, Paul, became a minister. Paul's not saying here, hey, bees, you need to be... Above reproach. He's saying, no, no, no. Jesus is making you above reproach. 
He's made you blameless. He's, he's making you holy. You're, you are that in the presence of God because you are in Christ Jesus by faith. And so where we struggle is, is, is in this idea that where we achieve that is again in verse 23. It says, if you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. Again, it's by faith. It's not by works. Our faith needs to be strengthened. And like I said earlier, before I started, as members just talking with one another, that's what a majority of the church is supposed to do. Was we're supposed to encourage one another in, in faith and good works. We're supposed to get each other all fired up by having those little conversations, by being there for one another. Right? That's a majority of what the church does. And so, my encouragement to you this morning would be that you run to God. Just like in verse 11 here it says, But all who take refuge in Him rejoice. Let them sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. The idea of, but let all those who take refuge in you. What's a refuge? Refuge is a, like a fortress. It's a shelter. It's a, it's a stronghold, a place that you can go to for protection. And so what David is saying here is, let all those who take refuge in you be comforted, be protected. Right? For you to take refuge in Jesus is an act of repentance. Right, You're turning from this wicked, boastful, devouresome way and turning to Jesus saying, I need to take refuge in you because you are God. That's your act of repentance. It's faith and repentance. You're turning to Jesus saying, you are my fortress. You're my strength. You're my stronghold. You are the one that I will be protected in. It says, it says this, let them sing for joy. This is a joyous occasion. This is exciting. This is why we sing songs in church. It's not because we have a rhythm, but it's because we sing out of this place of, man, God is good. God is so good that he took me as a wicked, vile person, and he loves me still. While I was still sinning, Christ died for me. All right, and he, he covers you. It says, let him spread protection over them. In verse 12, it says, you cover them with favor. You cover him with favor. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and David or God kicked him out, Adam named his wife in an act of faith because God told him that saying, hey, your wife is going to be the mother to everyone. And so Adam names his wife Eve, which is the mother of all nations, or is, you know, mother. So in this act of faith, trusting God's word, believing God, God then covers them. Right? You look at the order of the story. God names his wife, and then he covers them with his clothing, clothing that they didn't have before. This is the same idea here in Psalm 5, that when you turn to the Lord as your refuge, he covers you. He clothes you. In Revelations, we're told that we're given new garments that are made white. And we're covered by God's glory and righteousness. God covers you. 
When he looks at you, he doesn't see your wickedness. He sees the Lord Jesus because you're in him by faith. And so, in conclusion, I'm not saying that you shouldn't strive to obey God. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is we, we as Christians should strive to love God more. We should strive to, to know who He is. And out of that, we will become more like Him. In John 14, verse 15, He says, Those who love me will obey my commands. I think in our heads we get it backwards. We say, well, obviously, for God to love me, I need to obey His commands. But that's not, that's not so. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, those who love me, will obey my commands out of an act of love. And so, Christian, please hear me in this. Look to God. Read this book. Find out who he is more and more. I know I speak to an a, a room that most of you are probably 30 years older than me, and you've read more in the Bible than I could ever read. And I, I appreciate the wisdom in this room, and I'm not trying to talk down to you. I'm just trying to encourage you and say, keep going. There's more to learn. There's more beauties to God to find. And in that, you will become more like Him. If, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, verse 10 is your destiny. Right? It says, make, make them bear their guilt. Oh God, let them fall by their own counsel because of their abundance of their transgressions. Cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. This is the book of Revelation, folks. We see God coming in his final judgment, and evil won't stand. They will be cast out of God's presence. So I I plead with you, if you don't know Christ... Make him your refuge. Turn to him. Repent from your ways. Knowing that the Lord will cover you with his garments. He will cover you with his righteousness. And you will be able to dwell in the house of the Lord forever.